Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Question Everything listeners. This podcast is recorded during the coronavirus lockdown, so it's recorded remotely. Hope you still enjoy it. Keep listening. And remember, question everything. Hi everybody and welcome to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast for myself, comedian and writer, Dane Baptiste, and my producer friend, Howard Cohen, aka The Hizzer. Hello. Post the questions that need to be asked and we're talking everything from... From how do you stay fit during the lockdown? That's a challenge for everyone at the moment, right? How are you coping with it, Dane? Uh, I've, I've been probably been a little bit healthier. I've been able to try and get some level of a routine because, you know, you're home all the time. It's not really like where I'm touring. It's a lot harder if you do when you're on the road, checking into different hotels. They don't always have gyms. If late nights, late nights, isn't it? Late nights, yeah. And uh, also no takeaway. I'm not having any takeaway, which is good. Because there is um, a bonus for this lockdown, I suppose. And that's yeah, so I've kind of lost weight and uh, yeah, drinking yeah. more water because so that's kind of how I've done it. And just going for the little jogs and walks and stuff. Plus, in my apartment, the, the lift is broken, so now I've got to walk seven flights. <laughs> uh, someone, someone wants me to get in shape. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we're, we're going to ask our, our, our followers and our listeners how they're keeping it, keeping in shape, but we'll also ask our guests, because we've got a really, really uh, special guest today, haven't we, Dane? Today is a very, very special day. A lot of comedians jealous of me. <laughs> I enjoy your hate. I used to lubricate my throat when I'm doing my jokes. I hate comedians out there. So, <laughs> that being said, on today's show, our guest is an English former professional footballer. As a striker, he made more than 500 appearances in the Football League and Premier League over an 18-year career and represented England in international football to win over 60 caps. In the Premier League, he scored 110 goals. That's right, 110. 110 goals? 110 goals. You can't even fit that on the back of a shirt. 110. <laughs> now, we, you know when footballers do that thing and they do t-shirts and they go, I scored this many goals. You can't fit that on a t-shirt. Let's just double XL. 110 goals. And in his career, he also won four, that's right, count them, one, two, three, four League Cups, one FA Cup, one UEFA Cup, and one European Super Cup. And you also need to read his amazing book because he is also a scholar as well as an athlete. And the book is called Even Heskey Scored. So I guess you guys uh, can get that now and have guessed that we have a very prestigious guest on our show. It is the one and only legend that is Emil Heskey. Hi guys, Emil, what's happening? Doing? I'm good, and You're yourself? Good, man. I'm good, man. I've... That's a very humble reply, and uh, I, I hope you enjoyed this hyping up as much as possible. Yeah, you, you're my hype man. You, you, you <laughs> oh, get definitely. It popping, you get it popping. Definitely. <laughs> I mean, it's I've, worthy. Uh, I mean, it, I was interested when I was looking at the numbers, Emil, uh, who, who who scored over 100 goals yeah. in the Prem. It, 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 it's, it's not that many people, is it? Maybe 15, 16 people. Yeah, it's not, it's, it, I think um, it might be 20 now because of a couple of others, but, but yeah, yeah, it's... Yeah. Um, you're in a you're in an amazing club there. Yeah, you know, uh, you work hard as a young lad to get to where you want to get to, and and you keep pushing. And I managed to do it, and I'm happy with everything how it went. Uh, now I get the chance to look back at it and and really uh, relishing what I did. Yeah, our audiences may not know, but you've played at Birmingham, Leicester, Aston Villa, 
and Liverpool. And that's of particular significance, especially as a member of the diaspora, because normally for Black Britons, there is a divide in the North and South with teams. Normally you have Arsenal supporters in the South and Liverpool supporters in the North. And then people who support Man United, I guess they support, they support Chicago Bulls, Harlem Globetrotters. <laughs> what do they know about football anyway? So, uh, <laughs> like a lot of United supporters, you'd be like, I say, like, so for the listeners, you say you're currently you're staying in Cheshire right now. Yeah. Not too far from Manchester. Yeah, yeah. A lot of Man United supporters don't know that though. A lot of them don't know that though. <laughs> I digress. But yeah, for a, a lot of, uh, I know Black British football fans, uh, especially where in the North, including a lot of my family members, a lot of them were as excited as I was about this interview. So thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, how's it going? How are you feeling? Yeah, good. Um, same as, I think I'm guessing it's be the same as you guys. Uh, lockdown is not, is not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we spoke before and um, not having an end date is, is, is probably the, the toughest mm, because yeah. you usually have, um, usually have goals to set. And if you have an end date, that's a goal. You can actually yeah, yeah. say, okay, well, I'll come out of this then and I'll, I'll make sure I've, I've lost some weight. I'll make sure I've done this. I'll make sure I've started yeah, yeah, cooking. This point, yeah, I see some course. people learning, learning uh, Spanish. And mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think, I think um, with no end date, it's, it's tough. Um, kids are dealing with it better than adults. Yeah. My kids just get on with their schoolwork. They, they play on their computer. They talk to their mates on the computer, stuff like that. And then they go out and play, uh, uh, play outside in the garden. They come back and they watch a bit of movies, eat some food, and and yeah, for yeah. myself. Um, how you how you keeping fit, Emil? How are you finding the lockdown fitness re- routine? Well, we've got an hour a day, haven't we? So you get your running, you yeah. get your exercising. Um, your run obviously will be part of your hour a day, and then you exercise. You just you, your your weights and stuff like that is just in the house, um, so you can do that whenever you wanted to do that. And it's just trying to get it in. And I think you you said it there where. Um, you start to get a routine mm. and, it, and and you have got the time to, to get into that routine before you might have, oh, oh I might, got, might maybe have half an hour to fit that in or I might not be able to fit it, I'll leave it till later. But now you've got a full day yeah. <laughs> to fit these routines in. So you have to get it done. Yeah. I mean, they laughed. They laughed when I got that cross trainer in my shed, Emil. They all <laughs> laughed. <laughs> now <laughs> who's laughing? <laughs> are you using the cross trainer though? Are you even watch, are you using it, Howard? Do you know what? I'm using it twice a day when it's raining and when it's sunny. I use it once a day and I cycle at the other time. So I, I am I am on it. But the um, but yeah, it, it, I mean, it, you have that time. You're not dashing. Oh, can I fit in 20 minutes of exercise before I have to go and do this? Yes, you've got yeah. the time. So it's quite nice. I mean, and yeah. So and even if you exercise late at night. Especially as comedians, it's not like you have to get up late for anything or get up early for anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like I can, I can, I can start my exercise at like you know half eleven at night because I'm like, oh, what am I getting up for really? So yeah, it leaves a lot of the day to do exercise. I suppose it's, it's whether you can do it, but given that you have kids, it's not much excuse, I suppose. And mm-hmm. you know. Good way, if you exercise with your kids, good way to get them tired. Knock them out. <laughs> Knock them out. My, kid, my kids knock themselves out. You want to see how wild <laughs> yeah. they're running around. Crazy. Good on them. Well, it's probably time for a question, hey, Dane? It is indeed. Uh, so again, uh, Mr. Emil Heskey, thanks for coming on the show. No As problem. our esteemed guest, we invite you to ask our first question, which we will discuss for 15 minutes or so. Then Howard, the Hizza, will ask the next question, which we'll discuss for 15 minutes or so. And then we'll have our final question, which I'll ask to you. And we'll discuss that for 15 minutes. Then we all wrap up, go home. Everybody have a good time. And 
I go and go and show off to my friends that I got to interview Emil Husky. So, because <laughs> okay. they all laughed at me ten years ago, Emil, and they was like, "Is that a real job telling jokes for a living?" Well, look at them <laughs> now. Can I might have I, a cross trainer. <laughs> can I just say, um, it's one of the best uh, uh, jobs, to be honest with you, because you bring the rest of us joy. Um, I'll give you an example. When I was playing, I, I actually carried with me the uh, Def Jam comedy pack. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I used to carry that around with me because that just picks you up anywhere. You can be anywhere. That can pick you up. Yeah. Um, and I that literally had the, the full pack of DVD and take that around with me everywhere I went. Remember when you started the uploading um, DVD players? Yeah. The little, the little portable <laughs> ones. <laughs> Your kids would laugh I'm at the idea of that now. now. Your kids would laugh at the idea exactly. of you carrying that around. Exactly. Now they carry these little sticks around. Just yeah, just the, yeah, it's like a little something that big. And then it's like, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> so, I, it, it means a lot, man. I mean, I think it's definitely one thing I've noticed that football and comedy have in common is that uh, once you're able to like do well in it, then you can be very much respected. But I think it's one of these things, as you're going through it, a lot of the stakeholders have an opinion. Like mm. with comedy, like everyone thinks they can be funny and everyone knows what humour is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like even in football, people have a, a real, everyone has like their contribution to what they think about football, especially in this country, because that's a big part of the culture. Your chances of making it professionally are 0.03%. So you you're go. in a very, 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 very small less less than one percent. Like even in finance, we still one percent. But football is less than uh, less than one percent. And uh, yeah, but people always like have something to say. And I think comedy is very similar in that very low barrier yeah, to entry. Definitely. So everyone's like, oh, "I got a joke, I got a joke." So yeah, <laughs> glad glad we could be of service on that side. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So my question is: Are young players under uh, too much pressure? Hmm. So, I mean, young players in football is, is people get obsessed about young players, right? It's it's like the most it's like discovering a new uh, a new band or something, isn't it? Like music, like people get obsessed as a, as an Arsenal fan, uh, and you scored a couple of goals against uh, my team over the years. Uh, we scored one belt. Why would you even bring that up, Howard? Are just trying to have a positive conversation? <laughs> <laughs> he scored again when he was playing for Leicester. He scored an absolute belter against Arsenal, right? I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I remember. I remember. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, Emil. Me too. <laughs> but I, I, everyone loves to get overexcited about young players. We, like and before they've, you know, have, have, have developed. So Gabriel Martinelli is the the one at Arsenal that everyone kind of got incredibly pumped about this season. Uh, maybe it will be justified. Maybe it won't. Um, but then it, he's Brazilian, so in some ways he gets a different experience, right? Because when you're English. The pressure that gets hot put onto people is just—it's just outrageous, Huge. isn't it? Huge. When you were playing, did you uh, go straight to? Uh, were you straight in the academy to uh, the team? My, my, I'll tell you what, mine went so quickly. Yeah. I was playing under eighteen, so I was still at school playing youth team football. Mm-hmm. Went to oh, under sixteens. Okay. Uh, you, I, I started to play youth team football regularly. Then mm-hmm. left school at sixteen. I was with the reserves and the first team. Hmm. I was still playing youth team football, but I was in between the reserves and the first team. I actually played my first first team game at 16. Wow. Um, but it, it's not an official game because it was a pre-season game and they're not official games. Mm-hmm. Um, and then seven, just turned 17. Uh, I turned 17 in January. Uh, in March, I made my uh, Premier League debut. Hmm. Oh, man. So, so pretty early. And did you feel... Uh... 
there was a lot of pressure surrounding you at the time or was it exciting for you? It was exciting. I didn't feel the pressure. I actually didn't feel the pressure. Um, it was very exciting. Um, I, at 17 stroke 18, I was uh, more or less a first team regular. Mm-hmm. Well, say 18-ish. Yeah. I was more or less a first uh, first team regular, um, which was tough, but I had a good mentor and a manager mm-hmm. in place because he never put pressure on me to, to be that. I could be a 10 and then I could go be a four. Then I could be a 10 again. And then I'll be a three, and he never put me. He never put that pressure on to be consistent all the time because I was still a young lad learning my trade. Mm-hmm. So um, Is that Martin O'Neill we're talking about. Or? Yeah, Martin O'Neill. Yeah. 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 Um, then you get used to being in that re- re- because it's um, because when the f- my first full season, we we're in what is the championship, and you play Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. Hmm. Oh, okay. Um, oh, and yeah. I, and at seventeen, eighteen, that's tough. Mm, just yeah. mentally, you're just mentally playing football all the time. You feel you yeah. just you, you're basically playing. You warm down, then you play again. You warm down, <laughs> then you play yeah. again. You're not even really getting any training in in between that, really. Oh uh, yes, that's, that is quite a lot of work. I mean, I've I can't really speak from any anywhere near the same kind of experience. I I feel like the young players. There's a lot of pressure because I guess you know, as we discussed, it's um. <clears throat> It's a boy, it's a being a professional football is like a boyhood dream mm-hmm. for most people. So even people that might even casually enjoy football, it's always been a fantasy. So when you are uh, in the position where you kind of realise that, I imagine that the work you do to get there means, like you said, I guess you have a lot, a lot of time to consider the pressure because you're just trying to keep up with the level of training and level of athleticism that's required. But I think, yeah, the pressure. I think the large amount of pressure that uh, young footballers deal with is not so much their own because I think they just, they just genuinely enjoy it. I think. Mm-hmm. For you to succeed in football, you have to kind of eat, sleep, and breathe it, and uh, and ignore the press. Yeah, and tremendous amount of dedication. Even before, even before the press becomes that much aware of you, even when you're, I guess, you're making your way through the ranks, like there's a, there is loads of pressure just to maintain it. There are people that are always trying to replace you, but I think yeah, the pressure that comes from as you've begun to start getting a profile is more from the press and can be from maybe people outside the industry as well. Whether it's like fans and how do you think your career should be going how often you should be playing or how little you should be playing it's just that sense of expectation right that changes I think is is, is the fascinating thing uh, you've probably got so many different examples of people you played with Emil where they, they kind of um, exceeded expectation for a period mm-hmm. of time and then maybe they couldn't sustain that for as long as they wanted or uh, because they exceeded expectation they then moved to a bigger club or a different club or got a bigger opportunity. Because uh, England's obviously one of the things that people always want to, you know, they want to play for their country, right? But mm-hmm. once you're in that team, the judgments on you yeah, yeah. is... Well, yeah. the thing is, even look at myself. I came from Leicester. We were, at the time, a yo-yo, a yo-yo club. So we would go up and down from Premier League, come up through the playoffs, and then go back down. We came up, we actually came up through the playoffs. Mm-hmm. We were, um, we were... Uh, obviously, like like many seasons, we were the ones that were supposed to go down. The, the ones that came up are the ones that they say will go down. Um, we actually finished top half of this top half of the table and won a cup. Hmm. The following season, we finished top half of the table. The, the season after that, we finished top half of the table and lost in the cup final. Hmm. The season after that, again, we finished top half of the table and won the cup final. So we went to three cup finals in four years. It's now amazing. I got to a stage, and I I I, I thought that um, it was it was my time to move on. I moved to arguably the best the best team in 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 the country, the biggest team in the country, Liverpool. 
I was still 22 at the time. Mm. See, I think people forget that. I think, yeah. I think because of your size and stuff, I think people yeah. aren't aware of like how young you were at the time. I was yeah. still 22. And in my book, I put um, that I just wasn't mentally, take football aside, I yeah. wasn't mentally prepared to move myself mm. out of Leicester. Mm. I, but I had to grow up while I was there. But no one looks at that side of things. Yeah. And so then my trajectory went up again. So we won more cups, more cups, and then it kind of plateaued. Mm, yeah. And at that stage, I said to myself, um, "It's funny because I looked at I, I looked at it, and they went on to win the Champions League when I left. I mm. still had a year left, and I wanted to stay, but mm. I was told that I wasn't going to play. Mm. So you have a you have a dilemma there, and you say, "What do I do?" So I left, and I went to Birmingham. I had two seasons at Birmingham, went to Wigan. And I got myself back up to into the national team. This time I went down, but I'd, I'd come out of the national team and I got myself back into the national team and got myself a move to, to Aston Villa. Mm. And I was playing in the uh, World Cup uh, and I was 32, I think I was. Mm. 2010, right? Uh, yeah, 2010. Yeah. And how many how many other men were the squad who were in their 30s at the time? A couple of defenders, maybe? Yeah, it would it would it would have been like uh it would have been well Rio was Rio was there but he got injured. Um uh no Lampard, mm. myself, David James. We were senior members of the of the squad. Yeah, yeah. So and 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 going back to what you were saying as well, Dane, about the hard work. I joined Leicester at nine. And this is where the hard work all starts. Yeah. You know, and you're, you're programming yourself to be a footballer, to, to train a certain way, to make sure you're focused, to do this, to eat well, to making sure your family's got a, a part to play, to get you to the training, to get you from here, yeah, yeah. get you to there. At 16, you leave school, but you actually don't know what's going to hit you. Mm, yeah. Because you go into an environment where they want you to run all day from nine o'clock until you until possibly about three four o'clock and then the rest of the day you're cleaning stuff so it was youth team yeah yeah so i joined there went to do the first running i didn't know what hit me i was back at the, i was at the back of all the running but mentally i had to get myself by the end of pre-season i got myself to the front because mentally i had to get myself there i had to push myself and some people can't do it and the amount of time i see kids coming from ireland different places you see them there for two days three days and then you're like where are they no, mm-hmm. he no, he's gone home. Wow. He's just gone. Wow. He's just gone. And these are good players. But and mentally, they just couldn't get themselves into this, the, into what you needed to get out of yourself, to get the, to, to, to play at the top level. But that's why also I think that the, 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 the bit that you mentioned about moving from Leicester to Liverpool, which obviously you can, um, uh, you can compare to a thousand players who make a big move, right, from a club mm-hmm. that they've burst onto the scene with, to, to a big club where suddenly the expectations are massive and, yeah. and can they live up to it? But the thing, the thing that I think uh, nobody really appreciates when they're in this, you know, the, the fans of these big clubs that have signed these new exciting young players is that that young player has been doing the same type of thing in one team for their whole career. And then suddenly everyone expects them to suddenly just be able to do this job yeah. in a different place. Like with, with, with Liverpool, I remember you being on the right wing at times for them, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. you definitely, I mean, I respect your career, mate. You, you weren't, a, 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 your job wasn't a, a natural right winger, right? That's not. No, it wasn't. And at times you've got to sacrifice yourself for, for the team. Yeah. And this is where um, I, I see a lot of players and they say, well, I'm not playing there. 
well, you're not a team player then. Well, yeah. <laughs> because at times, at times I need you to do this. At times I need you to do that. And I need to know that if my back's against the wall and anything happens and I don't know, I might lose a right back and I haven't got another defender. Can you play there? Yeah. I can run around and tackle people. Yeah. I'll do my best. <laughs> yeah, I, I, th- I agree. I think I think if you look at how the game's changed now, is that like for a long time the idea of you know some a forward player playing that defensively would be unheard of. Whereas now you're a wing back because the typical like because of the speed of the game now mm. as a wing back you almost have to have some level of attacking ability as well as being like a um, defensive player. You have to be able to run like a winger yeah. and be able to cross and stuff as well. And, and uh, I remember, you know, I remember Emil putting defenders under a lot of pressure uh, defensively uh, when, when he was playing. And, and then I remember Dirk Cout doing it uh, kind of after years after you'd gone. And now they've got Firmino. Uh, so yeah. Liverpool have had a good line of, of, of forwards who, who, who work hard, but but that, I mean, do you do you think Emil that that that, that, that when you're an English player that it it, it just the, the, did you feel the press? kind of circling to kind of make their judgments on you. Did, did, that must affect some players, I guess, not everyone. Um, yeah, I think it's up to the individual whether it affects them. Um, English players get judged um, a lot harsher than than foreign players because it's our players. We like to judge our own players. And English players are more expensive than mm. foreign players. Um, I, think you, I think you'll know this um, because Michael Owen... And uh, Anelka, Nicholas mm. Anelka, at the time, were possibly on the same level in a sense of sixteen-year-olds. Uh, but Michael Owen at sixteen would have cost you back then probably about twelve million. Nicholas Anelka cost two hundred fifty grand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember when uh, Michael Owen signed for Stoke. I don't remember having uh, a lot of time on there, but I do remember him. Uh, remember, as soon as the shirt goes out, that's going to sell for like fifty pounds a pop. So you know. I think that's a big, that's a big part of the pressure. So footballers are under is under pressure. Do you think um, the pressure that young players are under is physical because of like you know the stepping up and how grueling it is to keep up the training, or do you think it's more psychological aspect of uh, being a professional footballer that's going to affect them more? Like in I terms think... of like dealing with press and the discipline required. Like even do they receive a lot of help? Like instead of making that transition from being like in school, maybe playing with a youth team, to now being on this enormous kind of global stage and having so many people scrutinize it, is there? Anyone that kind of helps with that transition or explains that to you when you're a footballer? I'll tell you what, they've got more to hand than we ever had. Yeah. I was 16 and they shoved a mic in front of me, asked me questions. <laughs> I'd never done that before in my life. I'd never been, I've never had any training or anything like that. And there's millions so, listening. <laughs> and and, and you've got to, you've got to, yeah, there's millions listening and you've got to articulate yourself in a certain way. I just about finished school. I could just about talk to a girl at that age. You know what I mean? Yeah. There you go. Now, um, now they have everything. They have all the training. They have all the um, psycho, uh, psychology. Uh, they've got a lot more on hand now than they than anyone ever has. So, if you're dealing with certain things, you can go to the coach or you can go to uh, whoever it is at the club and say, "Oh, you know, I'm dealing with this blah," and they will help you. Mm. Whereas before, um, we 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 never spoke out like that because it would see it would be it would be viewed as a weakness. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, a lot of toxic masculinity as we refer yeah. to nowadays because yes. like you're an athlete, and you're strong. So it's yeah. like, especially like I said, in football, uh, especially English culturally, it's about you know stiff upper lip and, and yes. it stuff like that. And uh, I know there's definitely a sense among footballers that is kind of like English football 
it's almost as if we kind of welcome it being a bit more grueling, both uh, physically as well as mentally. Because it's like, if you don't play a certain way, then it's like, well, in England, you, you're not supposed to like appeal. You know, you're not supposed to dive or appeal for injuries or, you know, you've got to keep going. And even if you're risking injury, by the way, you're tackled and stuff, like you kind of have to proceed. So, See, that is, a, that is an important one there that you said, playing on with injuries. So people yeah. say, oh, no, you're, you're soft. You should play on with injuries, blah, blah. But they don't realise, come 42 years old and you can't walk. <laughs> yeah. No one's even looking at that. Um, I'll go in the garden, I'll kick a ball around for uh, uh, for a while and I have to ice my ankles. Wow. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, yeah, because <laughs> athleticism and, yeah, I don't yeah. think people, they, when they look at footballers and they're like, oh, why did he go down or why did he stay down? It's because, like I said, when you're, you don't want to be in your 40s having to have cortisone injections because all the cartilage in your knees, you've yeah. been like, all that running. I've, I've got, I've got um, when I was at Bolton, there was a lad... Um, who had a career-ending injury, um, but uh, like must have really broke, uh, smashed his ankles to bits, and he just couldn't. He can't move his foot. Wow. And he was 30, 30 years old at the time. So now yeah. you're talking about someone who can't go to the park and have a little run around with his kids. Can't Which go is, to the- yeah, and again, it's insane to go from someone having that, such a high level playing and being an athlete to such a high level to now being barely mobile, and somebody will look at him and. If he, if he says, oh, I used to train as a professional footballer, people will be like, yeah, all right. Yeah, whatever. You're, you're 20 stone, whatever. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but yeah. I also think one interesting element to it, and this is, you know, obviously uh, kind of, we're going to talk about other things uh, in the show, but personality is, you know, and the way kind of we expect, you know, you talk, your question of putting young players under pressure you know, you're then putting pressure under their personality, right? And and, mm-hmm. and not everyone's personality. Like, I don't think you would consider yourself an extrovert, uh, Emil, like no, in terms no. of the way you kind of conduct yourself, you know? And the, the, the way people view that on the outside means that they're putting different kind of judgments on you, which is, as a young player, completely, ridi- completely yeah. ridiculous. It's tough. It is tough. Um, you've got to come out of your shell a lot when you're playing football. And like I said, I was, uh, I am an introvert. I, I, my, even now my wife will tell me, well, come on, let's go. Are, we, are you coming out to blah, blah, blah? I'm like, no, nah, you go. I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> and then she'll, like, then she'll be like, oh no, come on, we're going. He's going to be there. I'm like, nah, 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 I'm all right. <laughs> but then, and then she obviously persuaded me to go. And then I go and I, and I love it. Yeah. yeah. But it's yeah, getting yeah. me out. <laughs> Mate, yeah, you're, yeah, honestly, like, you're just speaking for every man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's getting there in the first place. It's, it's nice that yeah, your wife understands that and coaxes that out of you. And it's um, I, I hope that there is an equivalent within football. I mean, obviously, because there's more money involved in football and a lot more scrutiny, that's probably why there's a lot more psychological help on hand yes. to help footballers deal yeah. with the mental, which is a great thing. Because mm. uh, a friend of mine um, who's used to work in comedy as well, but he was coaching at Leighton Orient as well, and he started the London Football College. And one of the reasons why it began it because he said that, you know, you get a lot of fo- footballers who may be like, you know, if you're a second generation immigrant from the Congo, for example, and maybe your parents came over here, uh, they could, uh, the conditions under which your parents came over here might, might be the reason like you may have been fleeing the war or conflict or, you know, or just, just not that familiar with the culture. And then if you're someone who's grown up in, you grew up in Congo, then you move to London. Now you're going to go and try and play for a team outside of London. That area and that culture is going to be very, totally uh, it's going to be very foreign to you. We may, it might be very difficult for you to identify with like coaching staff and staff at football. So, man, I yeah. always talk about that with Adi Bayor. People often talk about Emmanuel Adi Bayor because he made some yeah. uh, pretty crazy uh, gestures on a football pitch, particularly to Arsenal fans. Right, we all remember the celebration, but he came from an 
like an unthinkable place in terms of his life in Togo. The story of him moving at 14 from Togo to France and basically living on his own at like 14 in France. You know, this has an effect on people when they grow up, right, uh, Emil? It must, it must have a massive effect. I'm not sure how much people, time people take to look at what footballers go through and kind of the backgrounds they come from. And I think it's only now with like digital media and stuff, we're hearing stories from, you know, obviously people like yourself who are able to articulate yourself and write a book. But then it's like, you know, you hear from just footballers that, you know, who you know have had like challenging upbringings, where it's like Troy Dini and mm-hmm. I've seen the interviews with like Nile Ranger and Leon Knight and stuff and mm-hmm. guys who are very promising. But yeah, I think there was not necessarily always been a framework to help guys who are, you know, dealing with a culture shock of going from the environment they've grown up in to now being thrust into football culture. And, you know... It's that, tough. Yeah, it can be very tough. And, it's yeah. tough. I, I, I'll give you an example with myself. Um, uh, my mum and dad are still together. They live in the Caribbean. They came, they were obviously... Um, my grandparents were part of the Windrush and then they came over after. Mm-hmm. Um, grew up in <clears throat> from the age of 10 in England. But it's a, it's a very Caribbean upbringing Caribbean background yeah, yeah, then same. to go into yeah. a football environment Absolutely. Mm. My, my dad I mean my dad plays watches football but he played cricket to like county level there you go but yeah, from the Caribbean, well. so, yeah. exactly so so for them it's cricket so if, you know and they, and they played well but like for a start it's like a lot of the uh, racism stuff they were dealing with meant they probably didn't get the same level of opportunity yeah. so yeah. when you don't experience and I think you probably maybe spoke to a lot, a lot of older footballers who tell you the same and when you've had that kind of experience, it's very hard for you to encourage your kids to go into something similar. And like I said, it's just a, it's just an alien world. My dad, yeah. he watches football, but he didn't really know about football you culture. Know. And I think, yeah, there's still a lot of black people that are unaware of it, even especially now with the, the women's game, which is gaining a lot huge, more profile. Huge, yeah, huge. which is a great thing. But it's like, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of young black girls who are footballers and stuff. And like, I mean, I had the privilege of meeting like Chelsea Grimes and stuff. And yeah, it's probably loads of girls who are natural athletes who could probably get into football, but again, it's yeah. like it's such where a foreign world to them. Yeah, where is it? Yeah, and who yeah. can kind of show them? Same with cricket as well. It's just like, yeah, getting yeah. a lot of young black women into sports where they would definitely prosper, but probably not aware of how to pursue it. So, yeah, I think you're right. There's definitely a lot of pressure. It's an absolute great question. And um, I do want to say as well, like, they are, I think young players are under a lot of pressure, but I think they handle it really well. Definitely. I think, I think, they, I think when you think, especially nowadays, think- like... I, I think they're coached though as well. I think they're coached to handle it a bit better where we yeah. wasn't coached. We were kind of thrown in the deep end. Well, mm. these are coached now and they're, um, they, 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 they articulate themselves a lot better. They know what to, what to, what, how to talk, what, what to talk about. They know how to present themselves. Even if they've come from a, 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 a rougher background than others, they know how to say and, and pr- promote yeah. themselves in the right way. So people look at them and say, well, yeah, Okay, we understand why this is happening, why that's happening. Uh, you look at the young lad, uh, Moise Keane. Mm. Um, uh, obviously, now he's he's in trouble because he's um, uh, broken um, protocol. Yeah, yeah, yeah curfew broke protocol. Um, you know, he's a 19-year-old kid living in a flat on his own. Uh, End of stories. With, 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 <laughs> with, with, with money, with yeah. money yeah. and testosterone, yeah. you know, this yeah. is an athlete, so he's got yeah. all this testosterone. So you've got yeah. testosterone at 19 years old, you're making more money than you've made in your whole life, you've got a house to yourself, no one can He's see. living in a flat. He's living in a flat. Living in a flat. You can't yeah. even go and, and you can't go and yeah. train. I'm sorry, when I was 19, if I'm not doing football and computer, I was studying. There's only the other thing left that I want to do. So yeah, I just didn't <laughs> have the money to do And it. then as well, where he's, like, he's, he needs a mentor as well. And this is where uh, yeah. I think is a is a huge thing, especially for football clubs where they have mentors. Hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But in my eyes, they should have ex-players as mentors because they, they can I was relate. just about to say that. It's weird that they have that. They yeah. don't have it. They don't have it. I don't see the, see the importance in that, but I can relate to what that kid's been going through. I can relate to what he's doing. Absolutely. Uh, even, though, even though at 19, I was still living at my mum and dad's house. But... Yeah. I can understand what he's why he's doing that. and I'm an older man now. I've got a 19 year old son. I can I can well I've got a 20 year old son. So mm, yeah. I can, well, sometimes I can and sometimes sometimes for footballers a, a player like Moyes Keane, sometimes you want someone that looks like you and yeah, identifies yeah, you as well, just 100%. just so they can, they can understand. So I, I, it's really surprising that there's not a scheme that exists, almost like a big brother scheme, which where older footballers do kind of like mental younger footballers. It's weird they don't do that. I hope I hope clubs yeah definitely take that initiative or. It's a scheme that maybe you, you might want to start. I mean, I think it's a really good idea. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> what, what a question. What a great question. We, we love that. Emil, thank you for that one. That's, uh, thank you. Thank you. That, that's, I'm sure there's football fan listeners, uh, new and, and old of ours, ours, who are just fascinated to hear, hear that conversation because it's, um, it's something that we take for granted, I think, that, 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 yeah, that footballers are under pressure at a young age. But, um, but I wanted to talk about something in my question uh, that's... Uh, I, I've always thought about, you know, I played a bit of football as a kid. Dane, you, 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 you've got some moves, from what I understand. I, I, I went, I went to, I played, I went to school with uh, Sean Wright Phillips. Yeah, that's okay. my, uh, that's yeah. my playing football, and that's, and that's what I mean to see. Yeah, when I, you see the golf in what's required to become a footballer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, so I, I got that to see that directly because, uh, yeah, I've. And Sean, and Sean was a talent. Sean was a proper yeah, talent. Yeah, Sean was a talent. But and I've played football and, and Bradley as well. So I went with Bradley right when same school as well. And I've got I've I've gone to I've seen other footballers play and I've seen guys play at like you know this level and maybe play into like you know national league or semi pro and seen bit. But I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. I've never seen. Still to this day, I've not seen anything like that. Hmm. Yeah. And, I, and I guess yeah. anyone who's gone to school with like a professional footballer may have a very similar yeah, story. Yeah, but like, but obviously yeah, most of us, yeah. obviously most of us in this world, Emil, will never become professional footballers or professional sportsmen. You know, uh, and, and you know, me and Dane would consider ourselves lucky. You know, I get to try and. Uh, invent and make tv shows and and podcasts and stuff and and dane works uh, in in comedy and makes tv and and i shop shop on those tv shows yeah exactly yeah and and, you (laughs) know (laughs) we we have some really nice moments in our in our careers where you know uh we will you know um we get a yes and we're making a show or 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 or, or people like our show (laughs) that's the other thing that's nice you know but nothing seems to compare to what it looks like scoring a goal uh, yeah, 
scoring a goal, like just, I mean, it's just, and obviously we're all watching football highlights at the moment of, of, of bygone eras. And, and I've got to ask you, does, is there anything comparable to scoring a goal? Because it looks just like another, another level. Yeah, it's, 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 it is another level. It is something that you can't explain. You can't, you can't explain the emotions that, that, that explode in you. That when you, especially when you score a winner or get that uh, equaliser, I was looking enough to. I was yeah. looking enough to score at Wembley, Middlesbrough, one-one to in in the dying minutes to to make it, oh, like, to take it to to um, to a replay. Yeah, you know stuff like that is just. Uh, so what is it? That would have been about eighty thousand people in the in the in the stadium, uh, just screaming. It was it was crazy. Because the other thing that's so weird about it, right, Emil, is that you obviously never know when it's going to happen. Like you hope yeah. at different times in the game I might score a goal. Like for example, if I get an email, it could say to me, "Hey Howard, congratulations, you're going to make a TV show," and I'll go, "Yeah," and then I've got to make the show, and it's all quite oh god. <laughs> and you know, most people, you know, at work, well, get, even, a, even a BAFTA, there's not that many people in the well, room exactly you know i mean it's all exciting but nothing it's not the same as as, as knocking the one in from 25 years i know i know and and the thing is you know the euphoria from the, the energy from the crowd as well yeah. and it's funny because not many people talk and i know people do talk about it to be fair but like the crowd's energy mm-hmm. how you can feed off that and what it gives you uh, I know, it's, it's very, just, very it's similar, just, yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's it's, it's actually amazing. Yeah, not the same scale, but like, yeah, it, uh, the energy, that uh, reciprocal energy you yeah. get from an audience, is, it has a very big bearing on how you play and stuff and, and how you feel. And yeah, mm. it's like, you can even see it. I mean, you see it as a, for the football team as well, that a team that would be appearing to be like playing a very close game and they're not really switching the ball that much and then they score a goal or equalise and they become inspirited mm. by the crowd and stuff. And then you see like, the team just grow in confidence and they become mm. braver, you run faster. It's like with, with comedy, it's like once the crowd's laughing and they're enjoying it, you remember your jokes better, your delivery yeah. becomes yeah. a lot better, you just be a lot more confident. It's, yeah, and it's, I definitely noticed the change. But Emil, did you, did you prefer scoring at home or, or away? Because the energy must be very different, I imagine. Scoring at home is always the best because it's your crowd. Hmm. It's, your, it's the ones that you want to entertain. It's the ones that you love. Scoring away is good because you get to shut some people up. <laughs> yeah, how, does, um, how does that feel? Because I, I was oh, like, amazing. What you're, what you're dealing? Because I, because I, I don't think people, especially people that watch football at home, don't really have an idea of the vitriol you're dealing with as a football player. Like when you're on a corner, you're about to take a corner, or you're doing a throw in <laughs> and the stuff you're hearing. So when you see that goal, you score that goal. Like, is there a tendency to be like? The thing is, you always pick one guy out. He's <laughs> always got that mouth, and he's, yeah. and then you're like, yeah, you always yeah, manage to find him as well. He's not gone to the toilet or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. You did it as well. You're, are you like, not him, not him? <laughs> you, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh. But the Esky or this, Esky or that, Esky or this, mate, give it a rest, will you? Yeah, just yeah. watch the game. <laughs> yeah. Are you like that as well? Did you see that? You see that? I'm so this, I'm so that. I'm so 110 goals. <laughs> but the, uh, I mean, it, it's amazing to think that you know, obviously that that, that, that you kind of there's so much. We're well, going back to the pressure thing. That it, it's a release of pressure as well, I guess. That you know, for, for you as a striker, Emil, you know, you you are you know expected to at least contribute to the scoring of goals, if not score the goals, and. You know the the kind of sense that you know you were. I, I always thought when you watch when I watched you play, focused, seriously yeah. focused guy, and then when you scored, uh, I, I don't think it's fair to compare you to a, a Nicholas Anelka, but there was a similar thing. And suddenly you could see this smile come on your face, yeah. or, or you know, absolutely. <coughs> you know, 
joy. That's what happens. You 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 release all your emotions. You release all the tension that you're holding or whatever because you've just you you can relax a little bit now. You've scored. You you you're going to enjoy the time with your with your own fans. You're mm. gonna you're gonna do your DJ celebration or, yeah. or, or whatever. You know. Um, so yeah, I think it is just a, a, a release when you actually score as well. But like you're saying, the strikers are one are the ones that they they're there to get the goals. So. Well, they seem there to get the goals, yeah. Because you, 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 I think we, you were one of the first people I remember to have a celebration with the, the DJing thing. I'm not sure, actually, because Shearer had his... But that celebration, <laughs> Shearer's thing, to me, is is, is kind of just a just this classic... It's, it's not... No, no offence to Alan Shearer, and listen, he's welcome to come on the podcast, but it isn't that original uh, in terms of... It wasn't yeah, something... Yeah, I guess. It wasn't yeah, something that you yeah. mimic that you hadn't seen before. Where we, I'd never seen someone do that. And now, you look at the things that people do, like putting masks Crazy. on and... Yeah. You know... Um, yeah. Balot, Balot, Balotelli did the selfie, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a character. Do you, do you, uh, when you, so when you, when you scored that first, that feeling of scoring that first goal... Mm-hmm. Is the first time you score a goal in front of an, a crowd in a stadium? Is that is that something you're always trying to chase, or is it like? Yeah, it gets better who you're playing against, uh, the size of the stadium. Uh, I remember playing uh, in a game that we beat uh, Derby, Leicester beat Derby. And that's kind of our our like the Derby, yeah, yeah, mid Midlands Derby, yeah, yeah, yeah Midlands Derby. So um, we beat them four 0 We were four 0 up after I think about 15, 20, 20 minutes. Wow, and that was amazing. That was amazing, you know. To and that's at their stadium as well. Wow! So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it was it was an amazing time. But yeah, even that, even having a full stadium of their fans and a, and a, and a, a minority bit of ours, hmm. it just gives you that great feeling. And and obviously, you you know, there's some goals I assume where you kind of just completely lose it, right? As in, like, there's times where you're scoring and you're, and I guess you're focused on the game and great, we've scored, and and then you kind of want to get back to defending the lead or, you know, kind of... But there there must be some times over your career where you just kind of... The only time I could... only time I can remember that was we played... I think it was Wickham in the semi-finals um, at at Villa Park. Hmm. Um, I was on the bench, but came on and scored a header, and I just ran off screaming. Who was this for? Liverpool. Right, right. Um, And it ended up being uh, uh, where where I was running off screaming and shouting. It ended up up being a a billboard for (laughs) FA Cup, (laughs) uh, which was great. Uh, But yeah, that was the only time I can say I can really uh, think of me losing it in that sense because... Obviously, we 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 needed we wanted to get to well, we won the treble that season, but we wanted to get to the final. You, you don't need to tell Arsenal fans that you won the treble that season, Emil. That moment, that moment, Emil. Honestly, I was there with my dad in the living room, one nil up, and no offence to what was a very good Liverpool team under Gerard Houllier, mm-hmm. but Arsenal should have won that final. We all, <laughs> if we're being honest, he's battered us, but. Um, Stefan Honcho on the line with a handball. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there's no VAR then, was there? No, no, no VAR. And 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 I remember literally <laughs> the second goal where Michael Owen outpaced um, Tony Adams and Lee Dixon mm-hmm. and slotted it past Seaman. I remember I can visualise the exact moment where I looked at my dad, picked up my car keys, and went to the park and sat on my own for an hour. <laughs> I was just like, I'm not talking to anyone. That's it. This is bollocks. <laughs> Obviously, that's the, the pressure you put yourself under, Howard. Um, <laughs> does it take a while for your like adrenaline and your heart rate to go back to normal after you score a goal, Emil? Like, so I, I said, um, 
No, you're in, the, you're, in, you're in the game, aren't you? So it's actually yeah. quite good. You're still in the game. I tell you what, though, um, you know, after a, a game, that's mm-hmm. the toughest time to get everything to come Calm down. down. Yeah, you, yeah, can't, can, you can't yeah. sleep. They're like players will go till three, four in the morning, can't sleep. Hmm. I think that comedy, um, comedy is very similar. I think I think with performing arts, any time when you're going to have that, it's that uh, energy exchange mm-hmm. between yourself mm-hmm. and the audience, as well as that adrenaline release, uh, and then the dopamine of just having yes. that of like everything you're working towards now precipitating in something you can see like you're getting that reward for the hard work you've put in or the play you've done, and uh, I, yeah, I guess I mentioned especially for footballers when that's done trying to replicate that same level of release, dopamine release and stuff might be quite tough because it's, it's, a, it's a real high. So that there's always going to be a low that follows a high. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, that must be tough as well. I've got, so. I've got to ask then, Emil, uh, regard to highs, uh, how late did you have to, did you stay up on the, the 5-1 against Germany? Because uh, that must be one of your most memorable nights in England. That right? was, that was, the, and it's one of the, the, the best games I've played in and it's, it's one of my most memorable games. Um, it's the game that everyone, I get stopped for in the street all the time. Hmm. Um, Cause you scored the fifth, everyone, right? Was it the fifth? Yeah, I scored a fifth. Uh, and that's where the, the, the name for the book come as well. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, it's funny because after that game, we had another game. So we basically had to just get out, get to the next game. Couldn't really take in what we'd actually achieved. And you really don't uh, realize until years later what you actually achieved. You know, it was like the, they were 60-something games unbeaten in, at home yep. in, in all competitions, Germany were. They'd beaten us in the in the final game in... Um, Wembley. The, the old Wembley. Yeah, yeah. yeah I remember that. Um, yeah. That was yeah, really so this was, an, this was a huge game for us. And we were 1-0 down after seven minutes. Mm. And also, it's interesting because we, 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 <laughs> when you look at that era, Emil, um, we obviously had a great Euro 96... Um, we had some promise at uh, World Cup '98, and then there was that couple of years where it didn't, it didn't quite click. Right, Euro, we got knocked out in the group stage in the Euro 2000, and then obviously that happened in 2001, uh, the five-one, I think, and um, yeah, yeah, it did, and uh, and and it kind of relit everyone's love for the the team again. And you guys must be bonded together forever for, the, for, for for having done that together it's, it's it's iconic it's an iconic victory you know yeah yeah it was um i've actually watched it back with the fa and and michael right um <laughs> we did a we did a little show on it and <clears throat> you realize the talent that we had and the what we achieved that day and the, even the talent what, what uh, germany had as well yeah they missed some good chances as well to be fair yeah. to them but everything seemed to drop for us and and um, and we just put it away. I mean, you're talking you know, in defence, and you know, no disrespect to the the current England squad defenders, but you're talking a back four of Gary Neville, Rio, Sol Campbell, and Ashley Cole, right? Yeah. Looking four now, looking now, how good is that back four? Four of the best, mate. Um, yeah, one of the at, best. When yeah. You look at, yeah, when you look at them, uh, Ashley Cole probably one of the most underrated. Um, we all look at. Um, uh, Roberto Carlos and, and people like that, but he's got to be put into that category as well. I think I think he's definitely up there. He's up there with uh, way people talk about like Danny Alves and they speak about Ramos and stuff like that. Ashley Cole is definitely. Up there. I tell you he's why. I tell you why people give him shit is because of the Arsenal Chelsea move. And 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 you know what? I, I personally, I'm a balanced uh, football fan. I'm, I try not to be too biased to Arsenal or anything. Of course, we were upset that he left, and you know the fact that some of it was financially driven. Who, uh, how many people out there would be financially driven? You know what I mean? Like, who doesn't win him work? 
Well, exactly. And also, looking back on it now, he made the right he made the right made the right move, right? How many titles did he win? He won everything at Chelsea. But yeah, I remember exactly. before Ashley Cole left Arsenal, um, one of the last if, if people want to find this highlight and share it with us, it's amazing. He scores a goal in a three 0 victory at Man City with a, a basically Burkamp sets him up to volley it in, and he smashes this ball in the bottom left hand corner like a striker. And it's at, at that moment you look at Ashley Cole and you go. That's one of the best left backs of all time. Yeah, yeah. Well, ahead of, and ahead of his time as well. You know, uh, football like players like Ashley Cole, players like Rio Ferdinand, because they originally had a lot of attacking ability before they kind of had their style converted. Kind yeah, of still yeah. kept it. So I mean, even you know, you look at players even like Patrice Evra and stuff like that as well. Mm. Who when you so now when you see players like a like a Kyle Walker, like these guys run because uh, Ashley Cole kind of walked yeah, and kind of yeah yeah, yeah mm. introduced yeah. that kind of play, which which England as a team definitely needed in terms of creativity and mm. uh, Southgate seems to be embracing that a lot more and allowing for a lot more uh, creative and yeah, diverse players working together so like I even say to my friends as well is that like if you imagine being Diego Maradona and scoring a goal against England in the World Cup like you can understand why he does game because it's like matching <laughs> that level of that, that high and stuff it's like stopping England from winning the final and getting into the final and you know how mm. people reacted and even getting away with like the hand of God goal. Like, I imagine trying to replicate that same kind of mind state is, is why, uh, yeah, which tough. we're not condemning. We don't judge on this podcast, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> so. Yeah, we're going to move on to Dane's question, but just before we do, it, it, I would be remiss not to ask Emil if you could now time travel and experience one goal again that you scored in your uh, wonderful career, which goal would you, uh, which goal would you pick? It would, it would obviously be the England v Germany. Yeah. Um, to live that again in front of their fans and have our little pocket of fans uh, screaming yeah. uh, to make it 5-1 uh, would be just an amazing <laughs> this, this one's called <laughs> now in at number five <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Mambo number five <laughs> especially because the dude that did Mambo number five is German so that makes it even worse oh, one wow. two three four five <laughs> It was unbelievable that night, wasn't it? It really yeah, was. It was. Yeah, it and was. It was an emotional night, and uh, it's it's only now you get to really live it back and and really uh, uh, see see what it meant to everyone as well. Your heroes, you guys, that the people that plays that play. Was it Nick Barmby played that night as well? Yeah, Eddie? Nick Barmby set up um, Michael for the first goal. Yeah, and it's like you guys were heroes. It's amazing. I imagine yeah. that you probably meet people called Emil that were probably conceived for that game. <laughs> I, I imagine mm. people... Like, um, I always think, I always think that, a few to be honest, that's a weird, like, that's a weird one. <laughs> I, I think that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, I mean, I, I imagine Barack Obama probably meets a few Baracks these days yeah, <laughs> if he travels and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah. or Beyonce is along the line, but yeah, it's a great one. Um, I, um, we're going to hand it over to Dane now for his, the final question of the podcast, Emil. Uh, it's, thanks for answering that. Um, it, it's a real joy. Dane, over to you. So, yeah, Emil, definitely, yeah, as, as you've uh, highlighted one of the more significant goals throughout your career, and said it's the inspiration uh, for the title of your book was it's even Heskey scored, which as I'm sure you're aware, uh, see a very self-aware guy that, um, yeah, you never know you're known for being a, a, a controversial player. I think everyone's found, you, found the experiences of you to be very pleasant on a personal level. But what the uh, real narrative when your name comes up in football is that it's underappreciated 
And uh, I think a lot of people, and this is why we wanted to make it a point of principle to highlight the fact that you've scored 110 goals throughout your career uh, in the Prem, uh, in, in English football and in the Prem, which is a massive achievement. And I say that because myself as a comic, and I guess anyone who's a performer who or has aspirations and dreams is that there's probably times when I feel like some of my achievements haven't been recognised by industry. Um, and I think that can be quite frustrating, but I feel like you've always, you, you seem to, yeah, be very chill about the whole thing. But there's a phrase, there's a saying, like uh, I heard Jay-Z say something about, would you rather be uh, overpaid than underrated? Hmm. But it's like, you know, in instances whereby people may not recognise your contribution to something, it's like at least you've been remunerated for it accordingly. But uh, in a two-part question, do you feel you've, uh, you're you underrated? And how have you been able to deal with that, I guess, hmm. mentally? Or, or, is, or, or I guess the question is, how important has validation been to you in your career? I didn't need validation, to be honest with you. I knew what I was bringing to the table. Yeah. Um, I'll give you a, a, a funny one. Um, I was at Wigan, mm-hmm. uh, playing at Wigan. Um, I, I, I left Liverpool and uh, when I left Liverpool, I never played for England again until I went to Wigan. I went to Wigan and I'd always said to myself, don't worry, I'm going to play for England again, don't worry, they'll come back. And I just played football because I know what I've got. I know what I bring to the table. I know what I, I, I've got. I know what I do. Steve McLaren rang me up. He was a manager. Steve McLaren rang me up and um, basically uh, uh, it was, it's a funny story because he, within football, you've got so many jokers. <laughs> so when, a, when the England manager rings you up, you hang up, you generally hang up because you think it's one of your players messing about. So <laughs> he, he rang me and he says, hi Emil, this is Steve. Hi Steve. Um, <laughs> he went, oh, Steve McLaren. Oh, Hi Steve, how are you doing? And I'm at this time I'm thinking, hang up, hang up, because it's one of the lads taking the piss out of you. So he's saying, Yeah, blah, blah, how are you doing? Blah, how's the family? I said, Yeah, all good. But I'm still in my mind thinking, just hang up on this, but it's probably Mike Pollitt or someone like that taking the piss out. <laughs> so um he goes on and on and he says, Um, yeah, we think we I've just named the England team, but we're thinking about bringing you in. I've spoken to Michael, and then once he said that, I thought, oh, this is actually him. So I started listening to him. Um, I spoke to Michael. Yeah, I think you'd be a great addition to the squad. Um, we've been watching what you've been doing, blah, blah, blah. We're going to bring you in. And he brought me back into the squad. Hmm. Now, he didn't bring me back in to sit on the bench. He brought me back in to play. Hmm. Now, I can't go from suddenly being a bad player for four years not playing to then say, no, yeah, I'm bringing you back in and you're going to play. So they knew what I brought to the table. Yeah, and this is what I was saying. I I can't look at what anyone's writing, but then after I was actually picked, it was then go to town on him in the newspapers. Right. Oh no, not him again. What's he gonna do? Blah blah. This and that. Now, if I fed into that negativity, mm-hmm. I would not have played. I would have just took myself back out of it. But I just yeah. I left it. I just did what I had to do, and then I moved on. Hmm. And I yeah. think at times you've got to dis- you've got to distance yourself, and you don't disconnect yourself from a lot of that negativity. Because let's be honest, if I wasn't good enough, do you think Steve McLaren would have rang me up? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> he wouldn't have rang me up. Yeah. Yeah. And and if I wasn't good enough, I wouldn't play. I wouldn't have played from sixteen under sixteens in England all the way up to the full team. Mm. Yeah. yeah. You know, I wouldn't have been in the first team at 17. Yeah. 
you've got to focus on yourself. A lot of the time people judge you. And I think a lot of the time I was an easy target as well because I never spoke. Yeah. Never. I never, I didn't feel I needed to stick up for myself because I was just out there playing football. Yeah. yeah. Um, And I didn't think I needed to do that. Possibly I, pro- I probably should have, but it wasn't my mentality to do that. I just wanted to go out there and play. Just leave me You to shouldn't have to work. be forced to do that. You know, it's, no. not, it's not in your nature. Well, this is the thing, and, and this is the thing even with, with the national team at times. I, I, the amount of times I'd said to them, as, as, um, uh, when, when I'm talking about media people, I said to them, look, why you keep putting me in front of them, uh, of the media? Is that, oh, you know, it's our duty. They, they're asking for players. And I said, okay, that's fine. But they ask me questions, I answer them. Then they write whatever they want. They don't write anything that I say. So just let them write what they want to write and leave, give me back my time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I spend an hour in there batting off questions, answering them a certain way. Hmm. Yeah. You don't answer, You don't write anything that I say. Hmm. You write whatever you want. So just write whatever you want and let me give yeah, my time to myself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's cool, man. It's a yeah, very grounded. That's a it's a very, very Caribbean disposition, I think you have as well. Because yeah, I think definitely I think a lot of the time where I've always gone to like my dad, for example, and you know, go into issues, yeah, it, it seems like very similar in terms of like you don't really focus so much on external things that you can't control. Can't control that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you just kind of just focus on yeah, just doing the work and uh letting that speak for itself, which I think is really cool. Because uh, Yeah, I, I've got a theory, though, that um, if, if, if we were to consider that, that Emil's career was maybe underappreciated at times or his, his value to the team wasn't always kind of, you know, uh, as high as it should have been, um, I've got a theory that actually he's in a, uh, a club of uh, forwards who, because of what they can bring to the, the, the table physically, um, they, they, it's ignored... Uh, how much value they have in the team because they're not necessarily doing some of the things that uh, another player might be doing. So the, a really good example from an Arsenal perspective is Giroud, who, you know, scored yeah. a lot of goals for Arsenal, but was he ever really appreciated like Van Persie was or Armory or Ian Wright? Not at all. And and, and it's because of his his kind of, the way he played. He, a, lot of, a lot of his um, his best work was, was, was back to the goal, right? And that's, you know, Emil, I know you do. We had a player called Alan Smith at Arsenal, for anyone who remembers Alan Smith. You know, Alan Smith scored 104 goals for Arsenal, but nobody ever yeah. talks about him. He scored a winner in a, in a European he, final. He played, he, played at, he played at Leicester as well. He was a great guy. Yeah. He's obviously been a, been a pundit for a number of pundit, years yeah. now. But yeah. he, he, you know, these, there's a lot of guys in that position, Emil, that, that, that just don't necessarily get the love because... Of, 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 I guess what they I, th- I think I think they get I think they get the love from the players and they get the love from the coaches and the coaches understand where they where they fit within this within the football uh, sphere and, and in, within their within their game um, the players enjoyed having me around the players enjoyed um, the work rate I put in I changed my game a lot from when I was at Leicester to 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 when I went to England and when I went to Liverpool because I changed it around to fit the to to fit the the group that I was in mm-hmm. and to you know what 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 people wanted so um when i was at Leicester, i was more i was more running with the ball i was more chasing uh balls into the corner creating things from that and then it changed it to being a more of a a a, a center forward that holds the ball up brings people in plays off people can make runs around me and i'll find them um but it fitted where where what i wanted to what how, 
how the team wanted me to play. Mm. And I enjoyed it. I, like, I, like you're saying, uh, was I um, underappreciated? Probably in a, in a certain circle of people, but in the main circle of people, no, I wasn't. They, they, they to really the people that county, yeah, To the people at county, yeah, they appreciate They really it, appreciate it's, it's important, yeah, because as I say, as I asked the question, like for my friends and my peers who were excited about me being able to interview, that was definitely their thing. It was that like a lot of people, yeah, they, they took umbrage with the fact that they felt that, yeah, your contributions weren't really recognised. But So it's very refreshing to, like, hear directly from you where it sounds like you're like, you know, first of all, I play for a team, so I'm contributing towards a team's objective, 100%. number one. Yeah, and, and number two, like I said, the people who, to whom it counted, whether it's, uh, you know, managerial staff or, like, my teammates, they appreciated my job and they were grateful for it, so that's all that matters. And I think, yeah, it's that's a really important lesson to learn. Yeah, 100%. Um, because, like, <clears throat> I'm just a cog in this in this 11-man uh, 11, 11 team, mm-hmm. but I've got to do my bit to help them. And I've got to help you as well. So one of the, one of the main things that stuck in my mind when I was growing up and, and um, playing football was one of the coaches says, win your individual battle, then help your mate. And I always did that. I loved helping people. If you, if I see you in trouble, I'm, I'm going to go and smash that guy because I'm (laughs) going to make sure he's not going to have one over you. Yeah, a lot of people don't think that way. They're just saying, "Oh, it's all about me." I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I, I know forwards that, and this is why I think forwards shouldn't be, um, shouldn't be captains. I know yeah. forwards that will score goals. They might score two, and we'll lose three two. But they'll say, "I've done my job." No, you haven't. Yeah, you haven't. Yeah, <laughs> no, you haven't. Yeah, I agree. I'll, yeah, yeah. You, want, you, want, you want, your, your, your centre forward should be as angry as your centre back about like. Hundred percent. I agree. 100%. Yeah, totally. 100%. I think I think where teams have prospered, it's always been teams where either the managers emphasise that there are no superstars and you all work as a machine. Um, and then if you see like a lot of the footballing systems that have uh, been more successful more recently, like you know with the kind of whole Dutch total football and that migrating to Barcelona and stuff, it's because you can see even in how they play, or even if you look at someone like Pep now and how he's mm. like <laughs> playing to Man City, is that like there is an interdependence and there is no clear. And even the way football works now, you can't really have franchise players where you build a team around necessarily. So it doesn't yeah. work like that. It doesn't work like that anymore. No. Yeah, everyone has to um, kind of interact. I think you, I, need, I think you need everyone. You need everyone to be pulling pulling their work. And and the biggest, the best team for that is Atletico Madrid. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know, seem to bring out. Yeah, they might have one star in there, but it, that star's working just as hard as the the left back or just as hard as the right back or mm-hmm. whoever. I think I think a lot of the teams that we've seen now that are doing very well in the English league now are teams where there's been that kind of Eurocentric focus on not having standout players and not worrying about whose name is on the back of the shirt and yeah, yeah everyone kind of working <laughs> together and uh, having that equal player where I'm sure there's probably been more hierarchy in teams before whether if someone was on depending on their salary and how much it was worth for that person to play for TV rights and stuff where mm-hmm. you see teams like something like Atletico Madrid. Uh, Man City to an extent even Liverpool and how Klopp kind of like drills players and then even yeah. with, even teams like you know uh, RB Leipzig in Germany stuff no, like that yeah, as well yeah, yeah. yeah so now you've got these, these feeder teams that are creating yeah uh, knowing your role is is the thing right in a, in a, in a good functioning team and uh, you know Emil you, you, you know you, you won trophies and that means that you're well this ro- is the main thing <laughs> you know that people people will say will think that I haven't I haven't uh, achieved anything yeah. <laughs> You know, I've, I've won, uh, before I went to Liverpool, I'd, I'd been to three cup finals. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there you go, yeah. yeah. Did you find your, because we played in Australia for a bit as well, right? Yeah. And did you find your reputation preceded you when you got to Australia? Um, <clears throat> it was great in Australia. They, 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 they're they not the same as over here. They're not, they're not judgmental. They don't, they actually don't care hmm. over there, um, which was great. And it was just a different aspect where kids, the actual kids at the, at the club want to learn from you. 
which was yeah. which was great. So I'm actually mentoring. I'm giving back. I'm I'm oh. helping them. I'm I'm helping them uh, in a sense of um, uh, trying to trying to enhance their game, which was great. To be honest, on the other side of things, um, Australia is difficult for the younger generation mm-hmm. because it's such a great way of life. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Life comes before football and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah. Whereas football becomes before, comes before life here. They don't mm. go and play football in the park every day like we used to. They don't jump over a school a school um a school gate because they got the best grass and, yeah. and go and play football. Mm. <clears throat> they they just go and, go and surf and uh, go great outdoors yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. football's a part of like it's, a lot of outdoor activities. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, diff- it's different there and um and we we we're very competitive here. So from from when I was a kid, it was all about winning your under 11s league and getting to the cup final, county cup final, and this sort of stuff. Mm. Over there, they don't have all that. They don't have competitive football like that. Even the even the actual A league, it's it's a closed league. No one goes up. No one comes down. Right. Uh, okay. Yeah. So there's, they don't never They're just playing. Yeah, they're just playing basically. Yeah. <laughs> Did you did you did you find that uh, reduction in competitive streak to be a difficult adjustment or? Yeah, it was. It was. I got used to it in the end. Um, uh, but yeah, it was at first because you're used to being upset, very upset when you lose, and you're thinking, "Look, we're sliding down the table. What's going on?" Blah, blah, blah. And everyone's saying nothing. No one's saying anything. Can you like <laughs> move on? <laughs> what can you do? Yeah, yeah. So, so for 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 so for players or just people in general, where they may feel they're working hard, but they might be overlooked for their achievements. Do you have any advice for them? The thing is, you, are you in the right position? Are you in the right place for that? Yeah. Um, especially when you're working hard. Because <clears throat> I, I say, because a lot of young players always say to me, oh, how is he playing um, ahead of me? Look at this. Look what I can do. I can do this. I do that. I said, well, what's he doing that you ain't, you aren't doing? Mm. I, you know, he just runs a lot. Well, why don't you run a lot? And then show when you actually get the ball, you showcase what you do more than him. Yeah. So if I see a guy, I played left wing at Leicester. <clears throat> the only reason I played left wing at Leicester was because, um, and they didn't get a left winger in, is because I would track back, right. tackle them, thing, and now I'll go forward. And then I'd track back. So I was going like backwards and forwards like, as a young kid. But I just saw that as my job. <laughs> Whereas yeah. some people said, no, my job is to go forward. Well, do, do all that going forward. You might not play. Because <laughs> <laughs> I need it going backwards as well. Yeah. So it's just. Uh, so- so if you always just been that, just staying on job, really, and just uh, yeah. applying yourself to the job itself. And, you know, yeah, as well, and making sure you're in the right environment. Um, I know some some players are in the; they're just not in the right environment, especially as young kids. They they probably need a different environment. I I look, <clears throat> I always say, um, uh, kids, if you're still at the club at 22, 23, and you've not made an appearance at that club, um, please go out on loan. Please make sure you've got at least. 50 appearances under your belt somewhere mm. because if, uh, if you yeah. if you if you haven't had that experience you don't know anything about football hmm. yeah because i need you to have played next to someone who's 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 um who needs the win bonus yeah. who's fighting yeah. for that win bonus yeah. who who's uh so if you shirk a tackle he's having you as well yeah yeah <laughs> you know you need that whereas you're comfortable Especially young kids, they're quite comfortable. They've still got their pay packet coming in. They're fine. They haven't got all these. They ain't got kids. They ain't got the nursery fees to pay. They haven't got yeah, all these. Yeah, things. exactly. Yeah, they, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so the pressure not you know, the same. But so. When you look at people's bonuses, especially in the lower leagues, sometimes can be just as much as their weekly wage. Okay. 
So the incentive isn't really the same to push. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they they need it. They yeah. need you to push as well. Different business, isn't it? Yeah, Different business. Well, I mean, uh, that's such a great answer to to whether you, you know that about being appreciated. And, and I think you know me and Dane. And many, many, many of our listeners out there appreciate what you did on the football pitch, Emil, that's for sure. I, um, I, I think, I, I think, especially, Dana, I, I, as well, is like within the black community, yeah. I think I was well appreciated there. And that definitely, was, yeah. Definitely. If I'm honest with you, that was, that was the, that was the toughest one if I wasn't getting appreciated there. Yeah, yeah. Because I'd come from a black community. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them were Liverpool fans as well. Yeah. Oh, no, massively. Yes. That's what I mean. Yeah. So there, there would have been a massive amount of pressure. And uh, yeah, and I say that because, you know, the reason why I wanted to ask this is because as I'm sure you're aware, as, as a black male, like we don't really see a lot of representation within other, uh, you know, realms of media, whether it's like political or economic mm-hmm. or social. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the time we only get a mouthpiece in arenas like sports and entertainment. And so there is a lot of pressure there. So if... You know, and, and a lot of time, you know, sometimes if we don't talk about our achievements, then we can't depend on mainstream media to do so. So, <laughs> yeah, so the reason I ask, so it's refreshing that you, you're like, look, as far as I'm concerned, the work speaks for itself. Yeah. The people I worked with have an appreciation for what I did. And like I said, like, you know, from your peers and from your from your own people, like, you know, it's all, yeah, it's always been positive, man. There's never really been any flippant insults about Emil Heskey, other than like, you know, when you're scoring against Arsenal. But other than that, <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's been nothing but love, man. So, yeah. Well, it's, it's been amazing like, to have you on this show, Emil. And, and, and at the end so of every good. show, we always want people to talk about what they're doing. And Dane, you know, we, we would love to just spend a couple of minutes talking what, about your book. What I want to say, first of all, Emil, is that like, it, it's great to know that you're a, a comedy fan. So once oh, the lockdown's mate, over... I'm, I'm, I'm a I'm, crazy comedy so, fan. So yeah, I'm going to be back on tour and I'm going to be up in the Northwest area. So like... Give me a shout, always, man. Anytime, you're always welcome to a show. Bring the missus or family down. Uh, never touch your pocket. Check out the stuff as well. And uh, yeah. And there's a lot of comics I can definitely recommend to you as well. That uh, well, I, I tell you how I love at this moment in time. I, well, he hasn't put much on um, Adot, the comedian I love. Yes, Adot. Yeah, because you, you see, we did the football. The football. Yes, yeah. <laughs> he's rubbing his belly and stuff. Yeah, like yeah. That. Adot. Yeah, he's a great guy. Um, yeah. I'll let who him else know. do I like? Um, Slim is obviously OG. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, well. Um, there's a guy uh, called Adam Rowe who's a scouser, by the way, and he uh, he loves you. So um, definitely. A- Adam Rowe. Yeah, yeah, What's Adam, his name? Adam Rowe. Adam Rowe. I'll send you a link. He actually yeah, came on the podcast do. last week and uh, the other week and was screaming about. He's a Liverpool fan, so he's screaming oh, yeah, at the moment. I definitely get on him. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they, so, I tell you, who I, I like at this moment in time for for his skits. Um, uh, major hype. Yes, me too. Yeah, yeah, because the Caribbean as well. So yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, I love him for his Caribbean skits. king of comedy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Emil Heskey uh, knows his comedy, guys. This is a, really well. Yeah, he really clued up. That's I'm really impressed by him. Adam J. I like. Uh, is it Adam J? Adam J. No, uh, the no, it's not Adam J. The the white guy that speaks Nigerian. Oh, uh, oh Kevin uh, J. Yeah, Kevin J. Kevin J. Kevin J. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Kevin yeah, J- I, I love him. I love yeah, him. He's really well. cool. Yeah, nice. he's uh, yeah, still Kevin J. Still working and stuff. He's cool, man. So yeah, I mean, yeah, on that side, man, it's still thriving, man. And uh, yeah, there's still a lot of new acts coming out as well, man. So yeah, uh, yeah just yeah, check out some of my stuff as well. Not just my podcast. Nah, and, I will do. I will do. I'll, I'll be happy to refer to some good comments if you need any more names for up and brilliant, brilliant, um, brilliant. But Thank yeah, you. well, so far as your stuff, man, like I'm definitely gonna check out the book as well. Even Hesky mm-hmm. scored, which mm-hmm. is available on Amazon. And is there any other stuff uh, we can look out for you for? Well, the thing is, with the book, um, the uh, reason I did the book was um, exactly what we were talking about. Everyone's got a, a, an iconic game of, of uh, especially when it comes to Liverpool fans and England fans of of, of um, 
a game that I've played. Mm-hmm. And uh, you start to sit down with them and you, whether, where, wherever it is, you sit down with them and you start speaking to them about that game and they've got memories and I've, I'll tell them about my memories and blah, blah, blah. And then they'll say, oh, at the end of it, they'll say, where, when, where's your book? Have you brought a book out yet? And I'm like, no. Oh, uh, okay, you should do. And then once you hear that so many times, you're like, well, I think I'll have to. Yeah. And then it was just the procedure of actually doing it. And it was a great procedure. I did it with Dean Elrich, who is actually from Leicester, actually lived not far from where I used to live and mm. grew up in the same area, went to the same schools and everything. So I did it with him and it was just really good to look back at what I achieved and and um, what I did and, and realise you, 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 I've, memory-wise I've forgotten a lot of the stuff so yeah. um, the Arsenal the the um, uh, Dennis Bergkamp hat-trick oh at Leicester against Leicester yeah so I remember that as being a Dennis Bergkamp game and it was a great game 3-3 I think it was finished mm. um, amazing finish towards it at Filbert Street I'd actually forgot that I scored in that game. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. But because everything's focused on Dennis yeah. Bergkamp. Yeah, yeah, and it was, a, yeah. a, it was an amazing hat-trick. Yeah. It was, yeah, I think it was all three goals were voted for goal of the season, weren't they? Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, one, the first the, one and the third one. The second one, not so much. But the third one is one of the most outrageous bits of control. Where he's, uh, he's controlled it, lifted it back up and then, yeah. and then passed it. Oh. And the guy grabs his shirt as he's yeah, going Matt, past uh, him and he's just uh, like, yeah, Elliot. come on. <laughs> yeah, Matty Elliott. And he's a big lad as well. He's yeah. just shoved shrugged him off yeah. oh it was it was crazy and the first one mm. the first one I was the actual um, defender to go out to close him off for because he got it from a corner didn't he mm. played out to the to, to, to basically edge of the box like yeah. right on the corner I closed him down and I, and he's whipped it around me and the way he's passed it I've looked I've turned and looked <laughs> and, it, and it looked like it was going into the stand so I've ran off <laughs> and then I was like, looked again, and it's gone into the top bag. And I went, "What's happened?" I know the feeling. I know, it's not the same scale at all, but I never get like, in a house football and school like five aside football when I was in school with Sean. And in the first half, my team we were ahead like it was like ten four. So I'm like, finally, sown. By the end of the game, it was 12-10 and he scored every single goal. And it's one of the things where it's, it's a five-a-side pitch. So, and you know, Sean, even as, a, as not that tall, like I think it's him and Aaron Lennon, like the shortest players that played in the Prem. So he's yeah. like five, five at best. So, and some of my friends are already like six foot by this time. So it's like, fine, just pack it out. Just pack it out. He can't get it through you. And then he'd score and you'd, you'd go, that must have been a fluke. Like, <laughs> no way. Then you do it again. Yeah. It's like, it's like, there was only like a small football-sized gap between us. So that must have been a fluke. And then he do it again. I'm like, that was the only part. There was only that f- part of the corner that wasn't blocked. And he got it just exactly there. Like, can someone, can a 12-year-old be that accurate? And then it happened again and again and again. And it was like, yeah, it's just an amazing phenomenon to see, yeah. man. Yeah. Poetry, yeah. Motion, yeah. So. But going back to the book, just to say to our listeners, it, it, it's an yeah. incredibly <clears throat> honest account and, and as the title suggests you you, yeah. you give a great analysis of your career that uh, yeah I think. I think so I had to I, um it wasn't it, I just didn't want it to be about my games going through my games oh yeah I did this in that game I wanted to give it a little little insight of me my personally what I what I went through and how I how I got to where I got to and how driven I was um how it wasn't always easy in a sense of um, I look at I look at kids coming up, uh, from abroad at 15, 16, and I I moved from I'm, I only moved from Leicester to Liverpool, <laughs> mm, yeah. and I found that hard at twenty two, and yeah. it was a mental side of things and and how that can get you down and 
stuff like um, like we spoke about before, players having uh, uh, things to uh, utilize uh, at, at their hands, and I never had that. Whereas times I would lock myself in my house and not come out because I just wow. mentally wasn't right. Yeah. Uh, it was tough. It was tough, but uh, I would say comedy comedy helped me get through that. Yeah. No, I'm glad. It's interesting as well because I think for a lot of comedians, when we're on the road and we're by ourselves, and we tend to read like football autobiographies and stuff just to see what it's like when you're like you know chasing the dream, having to stay sharp, being transient, like you know, so many people uh, competing against you as well. So, um, no, it's, it's, the book sounds great. And, uh, yeah, we hope a lot of people read it and I'm definitely going to have another look as well. So, uh, thank you. Thank you definitely appreciate it, man. Emil, thank and, you uh, so much for coming on our show today. It's been absolute no, highlight for us. It's been amazing. And, and ratings on the Mandem, Emil, I, I, I can't think of a more, of a, a more articulate way to say it, but yeah, Mandem rate you, bro. Thank <laughs> so, you very much. Thank so, you. Thank so, you. So, so, that that means a lot. We appreciate yeah. it, man. Thank, thank you so much you. for coming on the podcast, man. It's definitely thank been you. a milestone for me as well, man. So, um, I hope that the rest of your lockdown is relatively comfortable with you and the kids. Yeah, yeah uh, it should be. It should yeah. be. Yeah, and as I say, man, the offer still sounds to a comedy. I'm very happy. Hundred percent, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I love it. My stuff got the YouTube channel and everything like that. So do check it out. And uh, yeah, man, stay in touch, man. And uh, we'd love, love to see you at a gig. Thank, thank you again. Thank mate. you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Howard. Thanks, thank man. You. Have a great day, man. Thank you. You've been listening to Dane Baptiste questions everything. Hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him at DaneBaptweets. Our guest was Emil Heskey. You can follow Emil on Twitter at Emil Heskey UK or on Instagram at The Emil Heskey. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. You can follow me on Twitter at The Howard Cohen. Thanks to Polly and Gelly. Hey, if you like what you've been listening to, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Thanks for listening. And remember, Question everything. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.